since birth, women have been told that our time is infinite. It's like sand and that men's time is finite. It's diamonds. When you're conditioned that way, what happens is you start seeing and hearing things like breastfeeding is free when it's really an 1800 hour a year job. We know that when women enter a male profession, so pediatrics and medicine, nursing, the salaries automatically go down. We've been told women's professions are, are less valuable. We get paid less for them. So we know our time is less valuable. But then, Yael, it sinks into us and we become complicit in our own oppression. I was going to ask, are we complicit in this? Yes, we are. And this is what happens. Because we believe our time is less valuable, I will ask your listeners if you've ever said any of the four things to yourself. Jewish Money Matters, episode 307. Find your unicorn space with New York Times bestselling author Eve Rodsky. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. We just heard New York Times bestselling author Eve Rotsky talk about the way we view women's time versus the way we view men's time. This episode might be super relatable, and it might also ruffle some feathers a lot. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Eve Rotsky, author of Fair Play, a gamified live management system that helps partners rebalance their domestic workload and reimagine their relationship. Fair Play has elevated the cultural conversation about the value of unpaid labor and care. I am a big fan of the book, and I was delighted when Eve published her fabulous follow-up to Fair Play titled, Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World. You see why I would like that? <laughs> you know me well enough, I think. So what is a unicorn space? How do we create one? And why is it so important, not just for ourselves, but for our families? What were the personal experiences that led Eve to writing both Fair Play as well as Unicorn Space? You might relate, ladies, as I said, the Jewish take on our conversation and much more with the fabulous Eve Rotsky. Rodsky, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm so excited and so grateful to have you on the show. Oh, yeah. We've been trying to do this for a long time. And so it's just really great that we get to connect. And I've been listening to your voice. So I really love the content that you're putting out in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much as well. I'm a big, big fan. And we have so much to cover. I mean, I was bragging about you earlier in the introduction mm -hmm. to this episode. New York Times bestselling author, two books, a documentary based on your first uh, book, podcast. Let's Let's start with that first book, Eve, Fair Play, which has become a a catalyst for social change. I don't think that's an understatement, um, mm. really. What, what was the personal impetus that led you to writing Fair Play and committing to 
this work of changing the cultural narrative and rebalancing the domestic workload, I understand it involves a blueberries breakdown, yes. which yes. I bet many women in the audience will be able to relate to. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I'll just say that I did not set out to be an expert on the gender division of labor, right? I don't think that was <laughs> when I went to PS40 in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. That wasn't... Um, what was on my third grade? What do you want to be when you grow up bored? Mm -hmm. And it definitely wasn't in my, you know, Harvard Law School orientation when they said, <laughs> what are you going to do with your law degree? It definitely was not gender division of labor. And in, in fact, as a Gen X woman, I was told to ignore my gender because mm -hmm. we were the first generation where it wouldn't affect us. Right. Um, so, so what's interesting to me is, um, you know, I had really big dreams. So I'll just first say that, you know, mm -hmm. I think what I thought uh, was going to happen was I was going to be president of the United States while also being a senator, while also being a Nick City dancer. And I while think also being a mom. <laughs> by, well, well, whatever. You know, I wasn't even thinking about that. But I think the idea that the number one thing about my identity, especially during my school years, um, which was a long time, right? That was 25 years of my life um, of, of higher education, up to higher education and my graduate degree and, you know, in law it was that I would be like smashing all of these glass ceilings. Right. Mm. And I think the reality yell was that the only thing I can tell you that I was really smashing by the time I had, what well, we'll talk about the blueberries breakdown. Um, the only thing I was smashing was, you know, peas, <laughs> peas for my toddler, Zach, while, you know, caring for a newborn Ben. And that was around that time, uh, 2011, when uh, I had this realization, uh, I was in the car, I was taking uh, picking up my son from his toddler transition program, as I said, smashing piece for him at home. <laughs> I had a I had a diaper bag and a breast pump in the passenger seat in my car um, for the newborn baby Ben that I was talking about. I had gifts to return for the newborn baby in the backseat of my car. I had recently opted out. Now I call being forced out of the traditional workforce. Mm. So I started my own law firm. And in the context of that day of racing to pick up my son with all of that stuff in the car, my husband Seth decides to send me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And I remember screenshotting that text and pulling over to the side of the road and just sobbing Yael for the life that I thought I was supposed to have and mourning for the life that I I should have been living and realizing that I had become the she fault in my marriage um, mm -hmm. for every single household and domestic task for my family while losing my identity at the same time. And I felt emotionally abandoned by my workplace, AKA I had left on maternity leave because I was told I would not have any direct reports when I went back. And I was also told that um, I would be pumping in a dark stairwell if I wanted to stay at that company. Oh my gosh. And so I was emotionally abandoned by my workplace. And then that text that day, I felt so emotionally abandoned mm. by my partner that not only was I the she fault for every single household and domestic task for my family and childcare, but also I was being defined as the fulfiller of my husband's smoothie needs. <laughs> Um, and I just, I just felt like, where is, where is Eve? You know, what happened to me in that moment? So when this happens, Eve, and you have this realization, I mean, what happens next for the woman who's listening? Because 
short of reading fair play, that's what should happen next, <laughs> to be honest. But but Eve is now at this moment, and I don't think your husband was being malicious, right? No, um, he was not. I, I, I can't say the same about your previous employer, but for sure not your husband. And yet this is this was so normal. And 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 it's and you realize, but so many of us don't come to that realization and we put up with this for years on end and it like drains our literally our soul, our creativity, everything, our potential. So and why we're together it drains our bank accounts. Yes. Right? Because somehow we've convinced ourselves that we should be doing all of the unpaid labor mm-hmm. for society. And by the way, you know, religion um helps to construct that narrative because when I talk to a lot of my friends who grew up in um the the in Christian faith, they they've been taught that the man is the priest of the home and the woman is the helper. And my family is um all black hat orthodox Jews where um, the expectation for all of my cousins is that they will earn the money for the, uh, for the home and be the primary she fault for taking care of their children while their, their husband earns, I mean, learns, learns, um, learns Torah. And so it is, um, it doesn't help us that the expectations of society, especially religious society, um, reinforces these narratives. Yes. Right. So, 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 so what does one do? What, what is it? What is the first step a person needs to take? And for me, my instinct is, or at least the way it's been handled in my own marriage, it's like, we got to talk, right? (laughs) We have to have a conversation. I'm very fortunate as you are to have a partner who's open to this conversation and who's open to this rebalancing of domestic life and realizing, oh, this is a partnership and we're both running this household. Well, yes. I mean, yeah, Al, even to say that, that you're both a partnership, that, you know, that your partner is not a helper, that they're not babysitting their children. Right. Right. We're, we're starting from such a deficit, a, a right. place of lack. And the truth is, I don't think women married to men, um, you know, again, nobody sets out to have these dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. My husband, mm-hmm. Seth, before children was a very equal partner. He was incredibly committed to my career. Back to my money mattering. We were a dual earner and still are a dual earner household. We don't have any family money. Um, we actually support, I support my parents in a lot of ways. Oh. So th- there was no, um, question that we needed, um, to be a dual earner, uh, family. And Seth would bring home takeout. I would do the laundry. He would get the quarters for the, for the dryer. Like we were very much in sync until, uh, Zach was born. Mm-hmm. And because we didn't have, and I will say, like, I'm the ghost of Christmas future, I wrote fair play so that hopefully this doesn't happen to any other woman, regardless of whether she stays, chooses not to be partnered or is, is partnered with a woman or is in a polyamorous relationship. All of this affects us because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, um, I don't want anybody to go into a situation thinking that because their relationship is fair before children, that it's going to be fair after children. Ah, and I think that that's part of the unlearning. So you ask, what do people do once you realize, okay, maybe I'm having a blueberries breakdown on my own? Well, the first thing I think is, you know, obviously listening to this conversation, uh, realizing that before you can even do something about it, which yes, I center the oppressed, the women as being the people who have to get ourselves out of the situation. I wish it was different, but that's what has to happen. But to take that agency to change your life and the dynamics, we first have to sit in the unlearning 
mm-hmm. for the fact that we've been conditioned, like I said, not just through religious institutions, but through every right. single, literally every point of our lives as women, we've been taught that our time is less valuable than men's time. Mm-hmm. And so until we can really live with that unlearning, that's what we're doing today. We're going dark to go light. I think just sitting with that unlearning for me, it was, you know, years of sitting in the unlearning yell yeah. before mm-hmm. I could even do something about it. So we're not here to say, go to your partner and rebalance today. What we're here is saying, understand why there may be an imbalance. Right. And that's ultimately because since birth, women have been told that our time is infinite. It's like sand and that men's time is finite. It's diamonds. When you're conditioned that way, what happens is you start seeing and hearing things like breastfeeding is free when it's really an 1800 hour a year job. We know that when women enter a male profession, so pediatrics and medicine, nursing, the salaries automatically go down. We've been told women's professions are are less valuable. We get paid less for them. So we know our time is less valuable. But then, Yael, it sinks into us. And we become complicit in our own oppression. I was going to ask, are we complicit in this? Yes, we are. And this is what happens. Because we believe our time is less valuable, I will ask your listeners if you've ever said any of the four things to yourself, because I said all four, and this was part of the unlearning for me. Number one, I convinced myself I was supposed to be the person at that Tyler transition program, Yale, because Mm -hmm. even though I'm more highly educated than my partner and I was still working, Seth made more money than me. And so we now know that time is money is a very powerful argument in in a patriarchal capitalist society. I also said my job was more flexible, but we now know that if a woman is a doctor and a man's a lawyer and they're married to each other, that she will say her job is more flexible. You switch it. She's the lawyer. She says her job is more flexible. So I also said in the time it took me to tell Seth what to do, I should do it myself. Oh, yeah devaluing my future time. Of course, it made sense for me to tell Seth, you know, how to do something so I wouldn't have to do it again. I said I was a better multitasker. I was somehow wired differently for care and noticing, even though we now know there's no gender difference in how we task switch. Um, I said, you know, we're both high earners, but Seth is better at focusing on one task at a time and I can find the time. Mm-hmm. So yes, I became very complicit in my own oppression, because I wish I could tell you we can find time as women, but really there's no way to, you know, with the space time continuum. We're not Albert Einstein. Right. We just are, we have different expectations over how we're supposed to use our time. And I think that was the biggest aha moment for me. Yeah. was thinking, wow, wow. Mm -hmm. Seth has three hours after our kids go to bed to watch sports center, work out, finish a PowerPoint deck where somehow I've been in service of our home since I've woken up this morning and I will go to bed two hours later than Seth Mm -hmm. because every second of my day is pre-chosen for me. Mm -hmm. And that's the unlearning we're talking about today. That's so painful. And that's what I, it's a long winded answer, but a long important answer to say, what do you do after you have a realization like this? You have to sit in the unlearning of why it is that we, our time is predetermined for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just made me think, I'm, I was start thinking, when did this unlearning start happening for me and, and for my husband? And I think a lot had to do with both of us leaving the corporate workplace and being on our own. Mm. And then it's, that's when it got really real. Oh, we're both here building businesses from home and we both love what we do. 
And so my time is just as valuable as yours. So who's taking those dental appointments, right? Oh, so who's, good. Right? And, and and it became a great equalizer. It really did. So so I, I, I actually on that, why don't we explain the 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 distinction because I remember from reading Fair Play the first time you you say something like you were not going for equity here right or equality or maybe you know we're not going for equality we're going for equity was that it right yes can yes you, can you explain that subtle distinction so that's very clear for women yes hold on one second mm-hmm. my headphones are falling um, okay <laughs> I'm like stripping down as I'm talking to you okay so <laughs> it's a very big difference because and this is going to get a little a nerd nerd will nerd out for a minute here but one of the things that I did, obviously, after the blueberries breakdown, well, not obviously, but I, I didn't just develop a system um, to make my life better. It didn't start that way. But what it started as, it was a curiosity about why this was happening to me. Mm-hmm. And so this had been sort of litigated in the 90s and the 80s uh, through a movement to have wages for housework. It, there was something called 50-50 parenting, Al, which was mm-hmm. like, you go to the dentist once, I go to the dentist once. It felt very much like scorekeeping, not systems. Mm-hmm. And I work in systems. My day job is I'm a lawyer that works for families that look like the HBO show Succession. You should all feel bad for me. But what I do for those families is I I work in a very niche area of the law of governance and organizational management to help people design systems to make really hard decisions. Mm-hmm. So that lens made me realize that the things that were coming before us um, were were not were 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 focusing on equality. Mm-hmm. This idea of fifty fifty, and it was making me really confused and gaslit because right. I wouldn't even know how to measure that. And this idea of like a scorekeeping uh, list did not feel at all like a system that I was used to developing. So what I realized was. Um, because I did start with a list. I mm-hmm. talk about that in Fair Play. I started with a list called the Should I Do Spreadsheet. And I thought that was going to solve my problems. And when I sent it to Seth, after nine months of working on it, and it was 98 tabs and 2,000 <laughs> items in visible work, and he didn't even respond with a anything, just a monkey emoji covering its eyes, I realized, should, you know, lists don't work. The Should I Do list didn't work. But that systems do. And so that's how I got to equity. Because... This idea of lists, you do this once, I do this once, check, you know, checking off this, I check off this, you have 10 things on your to-do list, I have 10 things on my to-do list. That was very much the solution of the 90s mm-hmm. um, in this equally shared parenting philosophy. And I just, it obviously didn't work because we were still having these conversations in 2011. And so I realized that I had to move to something different and equity is much more lined up with systems-based thinking, which is the way I think. Mm -hmm. And it's really about ownership. Equity is about ownership, not 50-50. So it was a long way to get there, but I had to realize it that through the science of organizational management, I could get to a systems-based approach that allowed you to live your life any way you wanted it. I wasn't going to tell you do it 50-50, do it 90-10, but I, I was going to tell you that there was a different way mm-hmm. to do things that regardless of how you wanted to design your life, it would be more intentional and it wouldn't be based on assumption, which is how everything in the home is done right now. And I love that you use that word ownership because that's so key to this conversation, right? Like if, if, if you're, if you're in charge of dinner, you need to own it from beginning, like literally from origination, from the initial thought. Till the end. Correct. And so we fall trap into saying delegating, right? Okay. So you're, 
oh, but what is it? But the, we have the ingredients, but then, no, 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 I'm not involved. Like it's your project. The your dental project. appointment, if it's your project, it's from beginning to end. I don't want to hear about it. Right. Cause it, like I always have this conversation, even with my kids, my, my daughter asked me today, my 13 year old said, mommy, do you have headspace right now? No, not right now. No, we're going to after like, no, mm. like sometimes my kids, no, no, no. Like right now, I, there's no more compartments to fit anything. <laughs> I think it's all horrible that I'm saying this about my children, but there's this notion at home, like, okay, we sometimes are at full capacity and these are the projects that I own. And no, like it was, it was something like she wanted to work on ordering something from Amazon kind of thing. Like, no, I'm not dealing with that project right now. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I love that she asked that because it means right? that she values your time, which I, right? so I love her. So tell her she's amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so this is, this, it's important because again, it doesn't change. It's not just the narrative with the husband and wife and the dynamic, but now we're seeing it trickles down to the children too. Okay. But let's, let's go to, let's go to your second book, Eve. Um, find your unicorn, your unicorn space. It's, 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 it was for me, it was like a natural sequel, right? But, but let's, let's set the stage for, for listeners. First of all, what, what, what is it? What is a unicorn space and, and why the term unicorn, right? Hopefully we're not aiming to create a space that doesn't exist. And we're talking about reclaiming. That's, I'm sorry. I should have said this, but it's find your unicorn space, reclaim your creative life in an, in a too busy world, right? So, so why the term unicorn and what is this? What is this unicorn space? Well, I think it's really important because why write a book about creativity and women after a book about having men do more housework and chores? And this is sort of the through line. The through line is this idea, as we said, that our time is diamonds. And if we start believing that our time is diamonds, similar to that conversation you had with your partner that, you know, I have, I have equally valuable time. Then what I was able to realize, Yael, was that the same formula, sort of the mm-hmm. same s- s- for- secret formula that I used to get my day job clients to make these really hard organizational decisions, I could use in the home. Right. And so I became my own client. And really the, the secret formula is a system, is a, is a formula of boundaries, systems and communication. Okay. So as we just talked about, I started with the easiest one of those three. The easiest one of those three is systems. Mm. Because once you understand that fair play is predicated on an ownership mindset Mm -hmm. and you can start realizing what that means. Oh, I want an owner. I want a, a, a true partner in the home and not a helper. Then everything changes. Like Mm -hmm. for Seth and me, it was the idea of extracurricular sports. I, God bless him. He really thought he was owning extracurricular sports by getting to the little league field on Saturdays with my sons. But once he understood that ownership meant ordering their equipment on Amazon and logging onto a portal that was created in 1979 (laughs) and finding their birth certificate and uploading their birth certificate and being on an 85 person text chain about carpool, Mm -hmm. uh, having their equipment ready their whatever sunscreen water bottle so that I could just show up and cheer that alone, the ownership of that one task and fair play ultimately became a hundred tasks. That's the metaphor. It's a card game. Mm -hmm. That is a metaphor for ownership. You own cards. Right. So for me, it was just Seth owning that one card, that one task of extracurricular sports. I got six hours of my week back. Mm -hmm. So that ownership mindset, because we do it in the workplace, there's no way I'd work for UEL if I had to come up and say, hey, what should I be doing today? You know, I'll just wait here till you tell me what to do. I know I wouldn't work for you, right? right. So 
that was the easiest part. But the hardest part, which is what Unicorn Space is about, is those other two pieces, mm-hmm. boundaries and communication. Mm-hmm. Because you can't really implement a system if you don't have the boundaries to believe you deserve that system. Right. And you can't ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. And so many women have been prohibited for asking for what they need by societal constructs. And we've also been gaslit that our time is not valuable, that it's infinite and should be used in service of others or our roles as parents, partners, professionals, that the idea of doing anything outside those roles, because I start to ask women when I interviewed for Fair Play, when was the last time you can tell me the most important thing you did that day was not something related to your role as a parent? a partner or a professional mm-hmm. and women's eyes would sort of go blank. Yeah. And my job wasn't to shame them. It was just to to be surprised that none of us had this, what I now call a unicorn space, this magical, beautiful space for things that light us up, but that doesn't exist until we, you know, conjure it like, right. like a magical being, like a unicorn. And that is why I had to write a whole second book about it because women and their identity loss outside of their roles became such a big theme in fair play that I couldn't address it enough there. And so it became a whole second book. And so I'm suspecting now that there was some sort of more other than you seeing it on the, in the people that you're interviewing, that there's also a personal impetus, meaning like it's, there's a personal unicorn space specific journey for Eve. Yeah. Well, I think back to that idea where I really thought I was going to be president and senator and a Nick City dancer. Yeah, you know, this I had these big these the big dreams that we talked about. Um what I realized about this idea of big dreams was that fair play was only part of the story. Why I was smashing peas for a toddler and not smashing the patriarchy and all these <laughs> uh glass ceilings I thought I was going to be right. smashing. What happened to me was part of it was overwhelm. Mhm. But the other piece that really fit into place for me was that while I was being emotionally abandoned by my partner and by my workplace, um, I had this narrative in my head. We have no paid leave in this country. We don't have universal child care. So what people kept saying was, wait till your kids get into school, because mm. then you'll have a lot of time back to think about the things you want to do. And so I remember getting to school And being in this sort of toddler transition space, which was where the preschool teacher told me to look around and say, you know, these are your, this is your social safety net. The people in this room will know you better than anyone has ever known you. And feeling so grateful I got to the stage of my kids finally being in school. And then realizing as I was looking around that room, when she said, these are the people who will know you better than anyone's ever known you. And looking down at my name tag, which said Zach's mom and realizing that, wow, these people are going to know me better than anyone's ever known me. They they don't even know <laughs> my name. Game, right? So it was this idea Hello, that I'm Eve. I'm Eve. I'm a lawyer. I have a life. I'm a yes, graduate. Yeah, exactly. I I like jelly beans. Like I have lots of you know. I eat Lucky Charms for breakfast. Like I wanted people to ask about me. They no one asked any questions. They just wanted to define me as Zach's mother. So I think it was that the fair play dealt with the overwhelm. Mm-hmm. But it didn't really dive into the erasure of how oh. women are cons- systemically erased mm-hmm. after children. And so that erasure is really, really difficult. It was very difficult for me to, to comprehend that I was becoming this gray version of myself. And so that unicorn space journey for me was really hitting rock bottom in this acid rainstorm yell of, yeah. of, 
<laughs> overwhelm of overwhelm and erasure mm-hmm. and, and, and that erasure of my identity. Um, or as one woman said, she lost her permission to be interesting. Uh-huh. It was a very triggering piece and part of my life that at some point I didn't know really who I was anymore. And, and that was unfortunately echoed in so many different women in 17 countries so much so that again, that I wrote these women's stories Mm-hmm. Um, in unicorn space, how they came back to themselves, how they found themselves again. So let's dive in there. What, what let's let's illustrate it for people. What is a unicorn space? Give us a, some examples of what that looks like, because I think the I, what we're talking about might be so foreign for people who haven't read the book. They'd be like, okay, now what? Right? <laughs> well, yes, especially for so many women who whisper to me, yeah, that what was the point of fair play of getting time back if they didn't know what to do with it? Exactly. Right. Right. Um, And so that was a little bit alarming. And so what women were telling me they were doing it was that, okay, I can finally get a manicure or I can finally Mm -hmm. uh, read a book or I can finally grab a drink with a friend. So what I want to say is those are baseline self-care. Right. Adult friendships, you know, real self-care, not commodified wellness where you're forced into a certain body type or whatever, but real self-care, like you're pinning your feet on the sand, whatever, you know, getting your body moving. Those are just the basics. And that is not unicorn space. A, a, a spin class is not unicorn space. Mm-hmm. What what unicorn space is, it's the active pursuit of things that make you you. And to get there, we we need, it has to have three things. So what I will say is it's a good example to, to use you, yeah, without putting words in your mouth, because mm-hmm. I believe this podcast And we'll talk about it when there's like, when it also becomes part of your career, but this podcast is a unicorn space. It has the three criteria. Yes. It has curiosity. I wonder, you're wondering about something. You, it has connection, Mm. which is that second C that it has to have, which means you're sharing yourself with the world. You're connecting with somebody, myself, your audience, and it also has completion. And what I mean by completion is you may hate an episode. You may not like how you sounded, but you still have the courage to edit and to put yourself out in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that is much more difficult than say, you know, going for an occasional run. It's right. not a hobby right? because hobbies were connoted as infrequent. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a passion because I don't even know what that word means <laughs> anymore. <laughs> it's just a space, a consistency um, of being committing to being consistently interested in your own life. Mm. through through a life of curiosity, connection and completion on repeat. I like that so much. So then let's go there. So can can my work be my unicorn space? Because honestly, in my life, it feels like that, right? Like can, can, can can, can the space that makes me also money? I mean, I really feel like my work is my unicorn space. And I have so many projects going on and at the same time, and they light me up. But maybe I have to rethink this. I don't know. It can be, it can be, but this is the problem. When when your unicorn space becomes a money making endeavor, it's very important that you don't lose the other basic self-care items we just talked about. Uh-huh. You can get lost in it. So you may um be neglect, not you, but people who have unicorn space as their jobs often tell me that they re- ne- neglect adult friendships, mm-hmm. that they're often, they're often neglecting basic self-care. Mm-hmm. And so, because it becomes all encompassing because you want right. to do that. You want to read the extra book. You want to do the extra interview. Right. So, oh, I don't need to take a walk today. Um, I'll just do that tomorrow. Uh, I'll cancel the drinks with friends because I just am too overwhelmed. 
So I would say it's important to get some balance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like that. Now, now somebody in the audience might be listening to us and might be thinking, well, I don't know what they're talking about because I don't have any time. <laughs> Right. And again, we could say, well, go back to fair play. But really, like, you know, if somebody's listening and they're saying, okay, I like this idea of the unicorn space, this is probably essential. We could even explore that because I think it is essential. Right. And I think it's something you've written about. But I don't even have the time. Women are notorious for that. It's a common excuse. That's the hurdle. What do we tell them? Well, I think, again, not to go too dark, but we we see and I saw from my research, but this is also research that people will start adopting creativity and a unicorn space pursuits when they have things like cancer diagnoses or when they have things um, like serious health issues or um, or when a pandemic peri- peri- periods of crisis, <laughs> right? And so what I'm here to say is that that creativity is not optional and you cannot wait until your kids are older. You can't wait until you get sick. Um, we have to realize that the true key to our mental and physical health is being consistently interested in our own lives, Yael. And yes. so we have, so I, I, I'm telling you, it, it's urgent. And I think if there's urgency there, we start to find back to the idea of we can't find time. We start to, to use, to, to push back against people's boundaries about how we should use our time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wish that the, Unicorn Space book could have started, which is the plan of here's how we go to your curiosity, your connection, your completion. But actually, 150 pages of the book are uh, addressing the hurdles, Mm. are addressing guilt and shame, are addressing the fact that we don't know how to ask for what we need because we've been told not to ask for what we need. Um, We've been told to be selfless, literally have no self. So how you can have space for somebody who has no self? We've been told not that we availability is part of our identity. Mm-hmm. When I ask women to picture, close their eyes and see this, their kid's school calling and not to pick up the phone, women were reporting to me a stress response right. just in the picturing of wow. not answering the phone um, for their partner or their children. Back to you, you earlier, you were saying you didn't have this headspace for your daughter, but then you said, well, I'm not a horrible parent. Like we always have to qualify right. it. If we're not being available to our kids. And what I'm here to say is you deserve a permission to be unavailable. Mm-hmm. And so back to the secret formula that we started with a boundary systems and communication, the systems that can be done. The communication will start from this place of a boundary mm-hmm. that you deserve this permission to be unavailable. The problem is it is really harder than it looks. And this one woman who is practicing unicorn space told me that she was a single mother and she found out that her uh, rent stabilized apartment in New York was also for Juilliard students. So they had a music room and she had booked the music room in the afternoon. And she was so excited. She went to go get her sheet music and she was really excited to be curious about playing piano again. And, and maybe even again, connect with others by sharing herself with the world and completing a, a piece that she right. worked on. And she told me that the first time she went to go sit down at the piano, the sun was setting in the window and the music room and she started to have a visceral response that her son did not like to be in daycare when it was dark. And so she said the guilt and shame of not, of keeping her son in extended daycare to play piano oh um, ruined her unicorn space activity. And she left the piano to go pick up her son. 
So what I'm here to tell you is that why it's so hard to even begin to think about a unicorn space is because we have to believe we have a permission to be unavailable. Mm -hmm. And then we have to not let guilt and shame, which are emotions that women immediately act on. It's the only two emotions I saw in my, my, in my, in my surveys and in my interviews, anger, rage, other things would come up, but guilt and shame, we immediately change our behavior to, to absolve us of that guilt and shame. Like this woman did, she changed her behavior. She didn't practice. She left. So that's why it becomes such a big hurdle because how can I even tell you how to find your unicorn space? If I don't first tell you that you deserve ownership of your own time, that time is your most valuable currency. We've been taught to give it away for free, but that there's such beauty and mental health benefits in keeping some of that currency for ourselves. And I think, and I think if we also, if we think it's not just for me, meaning it's not that I'm going to benefit, I'm going to feel better, I'm going to be mentally better, emotionally better, but the the example I'm setting for my children, like it is good for them. It is good for my relationship. It is good for my marriage, my partnership. So if we think past the discomfort, the initial discomfort of setting those boundaries and think long-term what that is creating, that it's, it's beyond you. You know what I'm saying? That it's becomes so important. Yeah. Because as Tova Klein says, she's the head of the Barnard center um, for, you know, for early childhood she said something really beautiful to me. She said, if you don't have unicorn space, then your unicorn space becomes the perfection of your children. Mm -hmm. It becomes perfecting your children and your unfulfilled dreams. Have you ever seen some dads out there, you know, on the sidelines, taking their kids early, putting them in 17 little leagues? Um, What is that about? Does their kid really want to be playing all that? Or are they living out the unfulfilled dreams of their fathers? So I I don't want that cycle to continue for any children. It's completely unhealthy. Mm -hmm. But if if people have their own sense of self and what they love, it's obviously much, much better for your children as well, because of course, they will also feel pride in you. Yeah, totally. Model boundaries for themselves. And it's all very um, important for the whole family. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. One of the one of the things that we just talked about is that curiosity, right? And I think curiosity is, it's such an important concept and something that we need to be really paying a lot more attention to. I don't think we are. And I see how people now, you know, through my work, interviewing people on the podcast, coaching women in my program, I'm seeing Eve that people who are able to make more money, to make money doing things that they actually really love, to build careers and lives that are fulfilling it it all stems from a very deep sense of curiosity. Let me explore this. Where is this leading me? Whereas those who are feeling stuck and unfulfilled at times, I notice that unfortunately they've lost that curiosity. What's possible? What's out there? You know, do you see what I'm saying? I, I mean, it's absolutely. It's like, I do. I think there's a big correlation right? between burnout and a lack of curiosity. I think it's, it's, you know, the, the, all three of those things, yeah, actually are, are, are lacking um, in, in a lot of my interviews. People tell me that they, they feel lonely, mm. that they feel isolated, that they don't feel curious, that they um, don't feel like they can complete anything. Or as one woman wow. said to me, she's a graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. Oh gosh. She probably needs, she needs you. Um, but I think what, 
what women's one, one woman said to me made me laugh, but it was also again, indicative of what you're saying. She said, the only thing I'm really curious about right now, Eve is why my infant's poop is yellow. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so sad. And it is. And I think obviously it's much easier if you don't let sort of a, a passion gap happen in your life. Um, I see it a lot where people, um, their kids enter fourth grade. So it's about 10 years after kids where people Mm -hmm. start feeling, oh my God, you know, what happened to the past decade? You know, Mm -hmm. I haven't done anything for me. So I don't really want people to get to that point of burnout. That's why Unicorn Space is this idea of being consistently interested in your own life. Mm -hmm. But I think the easiest way to get curious again um, or connected again or complete something again is to realize where you're lacking. Mm. So if you feel like you're lacking curiosity, then you start with the curiosity. You just start to dream. You don't think about completion. You don't think about connecting with others. If you feel like you're lonely, start with the connection piece. If you're feeling like you have so many great ideas, but not none of them stick, then focus on these small completions. Like one woman said to me, she did that exercise and she t- turned out for her, it was the isolation of being a, a parent, a stay-at-home parent. And so this was in Far Rockaway, New York. Um, She found online a polar bear group. Mm -hmm. And she she, she DM'd me that she jumped into the Atlantic Ocean (laughs) in the winter. And what was so beautiful about that was it was curious, right? I wonder what it would feel like to jump into a freezing cold ocean. She started with connection. She wanted to connect with others. She found this Facebook group of people um, local parents that were jumping, like jumping in the cold ocean. Exactly. polar bears, the polar bear club of new parents. And then she actually completed it. She did it. Was this her hobby? Was this her passion? No, uh-huh. it's just a cycle of saying, okay, I started from a place of lack, which was that I didn't feel like I had good connections. I found this community. And then from there I got curious and I had a completion. So it sort of all builds on itself. Yeah. So I would say my big advice for people who are saying, I don't know where to start. Really think about where you feel the lack right now. Is mm-hmm. it in connection with others? Is it in completion or is it in that? Is it in curiosity? Mm. And I love the, I love that the action piece, right? Um, so. I mean, as a, as a Jewish woman, and you know this, like we always feel like in Judaism, like action is where it's at. And I feel yeah. like this is not woo woo. This is not manifesting stuff. No. It's I, not manifesting the dream, right? Yes, it's I like, I word. took steps. I, I, I took steps. I found out that there's this polar bear club and that's kind of interesting to me. And I went and I signed up and I jumped, like it's one step after the other, after the other. And that gets me there. There's nothing passive about the finding your unicorn space. No, it is, it is very Jewish because I think what's interesting, and I talk about this actually in Unicorn Space, the book, we all, the, the Christian narrative is a story of redemption, mm-hmm. right? That all the things in your life sort of lead up to a certain, you know, a sort of redemptive arc into why things happened. Um, the Jewish way is a lot more, um, about being present. Um, in the present moment, right? We don't, we don't really look to the next world for all of our, um, right. It's where, here. Where, where it's it's here. here. We have to sort of, we, we, we have gratitude here. We have, um, we pay attention here. There's a lot about attention, um, in Judaism, paying attention to where we are now. Mm-hmm. And so I think this redemptive arc of, you know, I have to have a passion or I have to get back to, it's a great story to get back to, 
um, what I did as a child. Like it almost is like a little bit too much pressure. Right. I like the idea of just starting where you are, um, wherever you are now, you know, you don't need to look back to what you used to love to do. You don't have to look forward to it being, if you're going to start a podcast, it doesn't have to be the completion is not perfection. Right. It doesn't have to be the, the number one Apple podcast, podcast. On Apple podcast. Exactly. That doesn't have to be that redemption story. I started off, you know, as a small baker and now I have 20,000 empires and restaurants or, you know, bakeries. It really just has to be, as you said, about these small steps mm-hmm. um, of living. And, and that there is, there is a lot of ju- Judaism in, in that idea mm-hmm. of, of living in the moment of being present. Um, and that's, I do really like that way better. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. And and then and that in that pursuit of again, we go back to this idea that it's it is for you, but it's not all about you. It really right. becomes something that you're giving to the world, right? Because exactly. if it was just a hobby, then it's completely self-serving. But totally. that's not a unicorn space. No. You you have to share with the world. Right. And again, it's why you can't it can't be just, you know, taking 10 spin classes a week. It right. is it uh, can't be just reading a book. It's writing a book. Exactly. It's teaching that spin class. So again, in, in Judaism, it is a purposeful religion to, to go beyond yourself. And that is 100%. These idea of, of the tasks that light you up, they're not unicorn spaces until you share yourself with the world. Right. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean, again, it has to be in this format, which is, you know, scary what Yell does or <laughs> um, even writing a book, but sharing yourself with the world is showing up to jump in that Atlantic ocean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because if you don't show up for that, then no one else is showing up. There is a communal experience. It's why praying in Judaism is an a minion. Mm-hmm. Why do we need 10 people to pray? Why is it where we were directed that way? Why don't we just pray alone? Mm-hmm. There's a communal experience that is based in Judaism that we understand that something more powerful, there's a communion with God when you can share yourself with others, connect with others and, and, and do something bigger than yourself. Bigger than yourself. Beautiful. Yes. yes, yes, yes. So beautiful. Now, Eve, what's your unicorn space? I can't believe I haven't asked you this. Well, for a long time, it was getting men to do more housework and chores, but then it became my job. So I was burning out from that. And then I talk about my return to dance, how wonderful that was. Um, Cause I could do it on zoom. Yeah. Like there were Broadway dance center classes on zoom. I could do from California and so really, um, even this idea of, could I, um, be in communion with my cousin and we could do a joint recital or, or sharing ourselves on TikTok. So dance has really been an important unicorn space for me, but actually recently, uh, cause I read so many murder mysteries over, um, the pandemic, my <laughs> new unicorn space is I want to write, um, murder a mystery? Thriller. yeah, I want to write a murder mystery. <laughs> I want to write a thriller. I love it. I love it. I already have. I'm so curious about my character already. I'm doing my research. I have my red herrings. I've been like steeped in in curiosity around Agatha Christie and sort of what her narrative arc looks like. So really, really fun for me. Completely. And again, completion doesn't mean it has to be published. It just means that I want to take that next step to learn more and more about how to write a thriller. And and you're going to come back on the show. I got to hear more about this thriller. We'll find the twist, but we'll get you in to talk about Exactly. It needs to be a really <laughs> epic twist. Now, I have to ask you, though, we talked about family. We talked about um, Jewish stuff. You married into a Syrian family, right, Eve? 
No, I am Syrian. Oh, I'm you married, are my, my Syrian. Hus- yes, yes, I'm Syrian. And okay. My husband is, he's an Ashkenaz Jew from, um, from Ukraine. Oh, uh, Ukraine, okay. But, I, but my family is um, Sephardic. Yes. Oh, so I thought it was the other way around. I was going to ask you, were you kind of a disruptor, Eve? Because like <laughs> Syrian women tend to be really traditional. <laughs> yes, yes. And and in my family, I am. As I said to you earlier, um, my mother's family is um, have, have turned into black hat Orthodox um over time they've evolved into more uh conservative and 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 uh and definitely more from more orthodox but the beauty is these themes are resonant in every culture yes. yeah every culture and my cousins they want to dream too they they want to have big businesses too mm. they want their kids to see them being well-rounded people too and so even these very traditional uh, enclaves, I'm watching mm-hmm. my cousins play fair play, um, have nice. their partners do so much more um, than their parents have done, and really trying to change that narrative. I love that. Now, talking about narrative, and then we'll wrap it up. You're a mother. I'm a mother. I have two daughters, two sons. What? Tell us what we could be. I think you've You've told us a lot, but I just keep thinking about the children and the way I grew up, which is probably very similar. I I, I can constantly hurt this message of you can do it all. You can be assertive. Go for it. I don't know. I think yes. that might not just cut it. There has to be a better message. How can we do better for our kids? Because I don't think that's real. Well, I, the, first of all, today, you're the first person I'm telling you this to, but um, we are launching a home economics campaign, but we've reimagined as home equity because we have taught our girls to code, but we have not taught our boys to care. And oh, so it's I love time. It. Wait, 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 I love that. I got to write it that down. Time. So I would love for you to sign up, look at the curriculum because I want parents to use it with their kids. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun curriculum. It's question based. You can ask it over dinner, but in my studies um, or my surveys of, of men over the years, um, a, over a majority of men told me that they still feel uncomfortable, would still feel uncomfortable buying their son a doll, even really? though that man, that man himself has held a baby as a father. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to me how these ingrained stereotypes of what masculinity um, is supposed to be are still really, really are here in 2023. 2023, yeah. And that's really what we're doing next. So I think... One beautiful uh, colleague said to me that we prepared women to live in a place of ambition, but we mm-hmm. never prepared the partners of those women right. Right. for her ambition. Right. So that's what the next phase is to me, is that your daughters look at you and, and you don't say, you know, I'm okay doing it all because I don't want them to watch me do it all, but also that your sons know that um, adulting, housework, rub- scrubbing toilets, packing lunches, Doing As my older son does, wiping vagina from front to back for a baby. <laughs> I, I teach right. him on the dolls. You know, when you have a child, it's going to be front to back. If you have mm-hmm. a daughter, you know, those things um, are are taught to to, to young boys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Now, there's a new documentary based on Fair Play, right? Eve, tell us about that. Yes, it's now on Hulu. So please watch. It's called Fair Play. It's directed by Jennifer Siebel Newsom, who's also the first partner of Cal- California. And she also had a movie called Misrepresentation that really changed the narrative for how women are uh, represented in media. And Fair Play is really her, 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 um, it's, it's not the sequel, but it, with, when you have three movies in a row, I forget what that's called. Um, but she has, 
she had fair play. She had a, I mean, so she had misrepresentation, a, a movie called a film called the mask you live in. And mm-hmm. then fair play is sort of the trifecta. It ends um, the trilogy of these three movies around uh, gendered expectations and what happens to us when we live in these expectations, as opposed to sort of, you know, smashing them down and trying to live in structured decision-making as opposed to assumptions, the way we've been living in them. Now, give me some positive news here. Like any changes, because you did write this book already a while ago. We're talking about 2011. I mean, there has to be stuff that you're picking up. Changes happening. Give it to Um, us. You just asked me that. So I figured, you know, I, I get so many LinkedIn messages. I'll just read you one of them that was so powerful to me. This is from a young man in Korea, married to a woman. Mm -hmm. And I'll just read it to you because we can end on this. It's a pretty positive note. Mm -hmm. Dear Miss Rodsky, thank you message from Korea. I read your book, Fair Play Project, and I write this message to express gratitude for you. I bought this book as one of husbands in the world. And I confess, I thought I'm a fairly good husband, but I was wrong. Wow. I strongly believe everybody must read this book before they got married or have a baby. Personally, I lost my sister, who was a high court judge and a mother of two elementary student sons four years ago. It was because a cerebral hemorrhage stroke took her. I believe this disease, this disease exploded and exploded as she worked too hard and handled too much things Aye. during her father-in-law's death, which was just a week before her death. She took care of too many things as a full-time worker and a perfectionist judge. I think of this fair play project were spread all over the whole of Korea and every husband executes this project. My sister would still be with us wow. having a balanced life with her smiling face, which I terribly, terribly miss. Thank you for writing this book. And I will practice this method from now on. Wow. How beautiful. Change yeah. is happening. Eve Rotsky, a thriller's coming. What's next? Well, what I would say is please, if you're a parent out there, check out our home equity cur- curriculum. You can find it by signing up for our newsletter. Okay. Uh, it's on fairplaylife.com. It's our free newsletter and it has so much science and so many actionable items that you can do to join us in this movement for towards equity. Amazing. Amazing. Eve, thank you so much for everything you're doing, for sharing your wisdom. Loved having you and come back, please. Uh, yes. I want to come back for a second <laughs> time, hopefully. And I'm going to give you a big hug. Thanks. Yo. Pleasure. Thanks to Eve Rodsky for stopping by. You can find her at eatrodsky.com and you can find both her books, Fair Play and Find Your Unicorn Space, anywhere books are sold. I want to hear what you thought of this episode. Let's have a conversation. I mean, the points that Eve brings up are not so easy to digest for some people and they might even be triggering. Let me know your thoughts. And by the way, I do highly encourage you to read both books. Really, really glad to be back with you. It's actually funny because Eve said that my work is my unicorn space and I totally agree with her but last week I came back from California to so much work that I started to feel like no no this is definitely not my new unicorn space anymore it's time for a shift in fact I was so depleted and so resistant that you may have noticed I didn't come on the show on Friday even though I said I would I just couldn't do it maybe I should say I just needed basic self-care that might have been it and I, I am definitely working on that but I also have some ideas of new unicorn spaces that I'll be carving up for myself. And I will be taking your questions this Friday. So don't fret. I'm here. It's not too late to send those in. I also asked on social media if you
you wanted me to share the lessons I've learned on public speaking from having been on stages now for a very long time. And boy, I heard a resounding yes, both on Facebook and on LinkedIn. I heard you. (laughs) I heard you. I will share. Maybe I'll even share some of that here on Friday as well on the podcast. All right, ladies, be sure to send in your questions. You can email me, yael at yaeltrush.com or DM me on Instagram at yaeltrush. Have a wonderful week.